Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Hayden Kirkpatrick, Vice President of Innovation and Venture Capital at State Farm. Hayden began his position at State Farm in February 2021 and has spent much of the last decade in the insurance industry after starting his career at T-Mobile. He joins us on today's show to talk about challenges facing the insurance industry from the deluge of data coming from the Internet of Things and emerging generative AI tools. Throughout the episode, Hayden pulls apart how these challenges look to an executive coming from a telecom background and how insurance leaders can leverage data tools to help solve them. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Hayden, thank you so much for being with us on the program this week. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to be here and I appreciate the time. This is really great for us because I know we're almost getting two executives for at least the time spend of one. You're in the insurance industry currently. The bulk of your background is in telecom. And I think this is a really great situation to look at industries in different lights and get some really great perspectives on the problems here. So let me at least tee up in terms of what you see as the biggest challenges in the insurance space. How is that informed by your background in telecom? Yeah, you know, insurers, we like to be efficient. We're all about two for ones here. We like to bundle things. So I'm excited to be talking with you and I'll happily lend insight from both experiences if I can. So interestingly, the greatest threat that I see to the insurance industry actually harkens from what I experienced during the mobile telco industry. If you were in mobile telco in the early part of the teens, you lived through what we call the iPhone moment, which was, as we all know, when the iPhone got introduced into our category, all sorts of disruption happened, particularly to mobile carriers. So if you were in a mobile carrier before the iPhone got launched, you had the keys of the kingdom. You had everything. You had the brand, you had the experience, you had the data, and then pretty quickly iPhone, and there, you know, very shortly after that, Android sucked up a lot of that attribution and really kind of took over the customer experience. As I look down the path of the insurance industry, I see the evolution of connected cars and smart homes or connected homes as the iPhone moment for our industry. There is a real risk of carriers being disintermediated and it is existential to what we do. We can unpack some of the why behind that, but suffice it to say, every car that comes off the line now connected and throwing off more data and more insight around the driver and the vehicle than ever before. And with 70% of Americans now indicating they have some version of connected home solution of some kind in their household, uh, we expect that on the long tail, the same will be true of homeowners insurance. So this is existential for us. Uh, and it is a it is a dramatic change into the way we think about insurance broadly. And it's something that my role in State Farm is committed to getting around and getting ahead of both for our company and for the category more broadly. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it, it, I think going in tandem with your answer is not only are these changes happening, the the Internet of Things, our, our devices have data that's waking up in ways that are going to change insurance, but also this coincides with the generative AI moment in that you have all of these new capabilities. No one's got a really good grasp on what they mean yet or how they're going to change things. Maybe a, a stark difference that I would draw 
from the advent of the smartphone. Let's call it 2007. That's when that's when the iPhone debuts. I think in 2007, the moats for megatech companies and the amount of data that you'd have to go through for them, the power of end user companies like Apple's w- was unprecedented and they had a big moat that was not going anywhere. And I think uh, a big difference between that moment and now is, especially with generative AI, but even a lot of what we see in the Internet of Things and the data we're collecting from devices, is that even the end user companies seem to acknowledge they don't have the biggest moat in the world. It's shrinking and it'll it'll soon disappear. What do you think that means for insurance companies based on your experience with the opposite dynamic in telecom circa 2007? I think in the homeowner space, it's a, it's a great tailwind for us. Because each of the big tech providers all have their own point solutions, but don't really own the whole household, that allows for insurers to leverage different partnerships with different providers to actually get a more comprehensive view of the home than any single tech provider, assuming that we move to that position very quickly. Also, Amazon, Apple, Google, they have components of the home, but they also don't have the risk vectors associated with the way that insurance prices risk in and around the home more completely. So we view it very much as a partnership approach. And with the onboarding of the Matter Protocol, which you're probably familiar with, right, the IoT interoperability protocol, uh, we believe that insurers that are forward-looking like State Farm have the ability to get into this space, lend value to consumers in new and different ways, and really establish a strong foothold in that environment. Uh, Within this approach category, participants like Amazon or Apple are great partners for us. Frankly, the overlap between what they do and what we do is quite small, actually. Uh, We believe that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts in that kind of environment, provided that we have the right kind of data controls, the right position to the ecosystem vis-a-vis players like the big tech companies who every day reach out to us to talk about these kind of solutions. So there is very much a window for insurers to get in very quickly and lend value to all parts of the ecosystem, provided that we're willing to let our guard down a little bit, take more of a partnership approach, share a little bit more than insurers have in the past. Uh, It is a very different model and way of going to market than we've experienced previously, but it's one that is very rich for us as a portfolio if we can get in quickly and leverage that data to price risk more effectively. Absolutely. I want to ask this a bit more directly because I know we've been touching on on this question a little bit in your previous answers, but what are the ultimate gaps in the data in terms of what you're getting from Google, the Google Home, the automobile manufacturer in terms of the data coming from the car? What are the big gaps in terms of insurance companies and their focus on risk that they need to make up for in collecting that data and using it for their own purposes? Let me parse that. So within the home, as opposed to the car, Sure. We are able to get environmental data and some behavioral data, but structural data or asset-based data can be a bit tricky. So we could tell presence of people within a home, leveraging those kind of partnerships. We can't necessarily tell the types of assets or personal property that would be in there. There's a customer experience layer you can create where customers can help inform that and you can get really, really smart really fast. But the big tech providers can't necessarily help us with that at this point. On the flip side, we can get a lot more structural data around the home and outside the home where risks of losses might potentially be based on some of the third party and public data sets that we can stitch together, as well as the claims history we've got around where losses are. And that's an area where the the technology providers might not necessarily have the best position. So we have value to lend to them. They have value to lend to us. And that makes partnership approaches very compelling here. On the car side or on the automobile side, 
we really don't know what we don't know. We understand there's a certain depth of data and we have visions around how that could work. As you're probably aware, data from an embedded OEM dash is structured very differently. You know, down to the sensor level, it can be organized very differently. There's no standardization process in this. And so it really is a point by point or relationship by relationship solution. But our ultimate end state would be to be able to better price customers and their risk based on how they drive or use ADAS features. And then ultimately be able to streamline a claims experience in the event that there is an unfortunate accident. If you're in a collision, 95% of what we need to adjudicate a claim is captured in the in-dash computer, right? It's just a matter of getting it to us, forming it in a way where we can understand liability, understand damages, understand reparation costs, those kind of things. But the cars are so smart these days. I mean, my car sees four cars ahead and around right? yeah. and yeah. records a minute before and after. God help me. If I'm ever in an accident, there's a <laughs> right. setting where I can choose a minute before and after. So being able to plug and pull that data from my vehicle in the event that I'm in an accident would allow me to recreate in almost perfect precision the entirety of a crash. And we really think that's the future of the insurance industry, to be able to get customers back on the road faster with minimum waste and minimal cost to us and them. Right. Going to ask a, a very general question, but feel free to divvy it up in terms of automotive or home insurance. But it does sound like in order to close these gaps, we might need a stronger privacy relationship with the customer. I, I won't I won't mention them, but my, I know my auto insurer has had me put a device in the car that attaches to the system and takes a, a more specific reading of how terrible a driver I am so that they can they, they can increase my premium, which I probably deserve because I'm just not that good a driver. More I won't I won't mention more who, more. but 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 I'm sure State Farm has some similar practices. But it sounds like you need to have the customer on board with a, a closer proximity of data gathering, perhaps some personal data. And I imagine this would this would have dimensions in the in the home ownership space of like, can you you provide us with your tax documentation uh, a little bit more on your property so we have a, a kind of a clearer idea of the asset. Does closing these gaps mean a, a stronger relationship with the customer and getting them more on board with, with certain privacy sharing, information sharing on their part? Absolutely. So let me start by expressing how State Farm thinks about this and then I'll get into my own sure. personal beliefs. You know, at State Farm, we take more or less all comers within our underwriting guidelines. We don't want to require customers to share data to get covered by us. But when you share your data, it does allow us to be more precise and more sophisticated. So my personal belief on where we're going and some of the conversations we're having internally is around a baseline set of rating that prices the asset and what we know from traditional actuarial and underwriting sciences. The more data you share, the sharper we get it, but never really above the upper end of our risk tolerance above that bound. So our current telematics program is very much focused on discounts as opposed to other carriers that will surcharge. You know, Matt, if you come and give your auto insurance to us, we'll price you as we think is fair. And then how you drive, we'll give you a discount, but we won't go above that at this point. Take it or leave it. <laughs> um, but we, you know, we do believe that the data is owned by the customer and your willingness to share it with us is indicative of your willingness to participate in the risk sharing model of insurance and our ability to get smarter and smarter about that. So that's how we really view data as a function of insurance pricing and the offering of discounts. You know, we can write customers without some of those intelligent data streams. 
but our ability to do that with more precision and more sophistication gets much, much sharper. And we're in, inclined to reward customers for, for sharing that data with us. Yeah. And I, I know privacy has been an ongoing conversation since I was in college. I mean, I'll date myself. I was in that, you know, Facebook, MySpace first generation. You need to have the, you know, privacy professor. <laughs> yeah. That privacy professor comes around and says, you know, if you share all this stuff, you'll never have safety. And then, and it would get into a discussion of, well, are we getting the services that are requisite with that sharing? Is that, is, are those institutions we trust? And I think that's now from everything you're saying in terms of, of how it moved forward, that trade off is a little bit more built into the process. And and I think that's something we see across, you know, new systems in terms of new AI capabilities. You know, uh, customers are going to need to try this, they're going to need to trust it, they're going to need to see results and then you're you're going to see uh, a normalization of those levels of privacy sharing. But even outside of ev- information that the customer can provide what you're scraping from the megatech players in terms of the data they're collecting about homes and cars. I'm also wondering what are other ways that insurance leaders are using data and analytics to solve the challenges that you were presenting with the Internet of Things and in, in this data waking up? Oh, wow. That's a big question. There's so many potential opportunities in our space. You know, I always preach to my team internally that insurance was kind of the original big data company. We were big data before it was cool. And we were big data before it was called big data. Actuarial sciences goes way back. Where I think insurers have multiple opportunities in the value chain. Really, I look at it in threefold, right? First and foremost, customer experience optimization. So customers now are used to front-end experiences that adapt the more they learn about you and they can become more and more curated. Insurance is adaptive on a segment level down to particular risk segments or actuarial segments or types of vehicles. Uh, We could get a lot more sophisticated in the customer experience layer around individualized risk. I would say the same thing about the actuarial side, although that's highly regulated. So the way we think about pricing risk with these data streams, there's a lot of machine tooling that can help us find insights that a human actuary just probably couldn't find. State by state regulations have a heavy thumb on the scale there. If I'm in California, I can rate on certain variables. If I'm in Washington, I can't rate on those same variables. So this then pushes, I think, the responsibility to other let's just say more exotic data sets to really find that pricing and risk advantage. So that's the second area where I think there's a lot of opportunity in in the insurance space. And then lastly, but certainly not least, is the underwriting process. So digital underwriting is pretty well known in our industry. It is tricky to vet and confirm customer details in a completely digital fashion. You don't want to get so far down to automating that where you can't have a level of art to that science, right? You get into places where biases and algorithms become an issue, right? In the homeowner space, redlining becomes an issue. So I, I don't necessarily believe in completely digital underwriting, but there is a significant augment that you could give to human underwriters with these advanced data sets and advanced data analytics capabilities um, that could be a significant leg up in your ability to serve both broad customer bases and broad communities, but do so in a smarter way and a more humane way. So that's really to say, Matt, kind of the whole value chain from pricing to underwriting to customer experience, all of it could be better enabled with advanced data analytics capabilities. And of course, State Farm is exploring all of those in turn. 
For sure. And let we can we can we have enough time to break each one of these apart. So let's let's sure. start with, you know, the customer experience optimization. It sounds mostly in terms of the capabilities there, like it's categorization. You mentioned the segmenting, but also that has to be a feedback loop. That's like you, you're putting folks into categories based on the state. You mentioned the state by state regulations. So you have all of these, you know, categories and segments that come from the outside. And I, I take it with the customer information that you're gathering, you're getting a feedback loop from what are the most important metrics that they're bringing to the table or what you're getting out of that data in terms of those segments. Just looking for an idea of maybe what that looks like, especially as you have a system, a customer experience optimization system that's bringing you back the noteworthy metrics and what maybe what those metrics look like. Sure. So there are some basics. If you're thinking about existing telematics platforms, the way that the customer engages in the app, engages in the driving behavior, that's kind of a circular pattern, right? And we're starting to see early insights that indicate as we present through the customer experience layer, opportunities for drivers to be safer, to engage in in the way we think about their risk and the way we think about areas of loss and specifically how we can improve their premium and cost base through those front ends. The manner in which customers engage with the front end is itself indicative of risk, right? So Matt, in your instance, if you gave us your driving data, just based on what I know about you and what you've told me in the past, when you get done driving, we're going to say, oof, Matt, you accelerated too fast. You turned too hard while you were checking your tweets and you broke too fast. So you got a zero out of 10 score in terms of your driving risk. And oh, by the way, if every drive was like this, this is what it would cost you in any given month, right? So that is baseline customer experience presenting to you a better and deeper understanding of why your price is what it is and how you can control it. As you move those vectors and we see you engaging in the app, that itself becomes indicative of risk, right? It's behavioral as opposed to actuarial. So you can improve. So let's say say your driving score is 70 out of 100. If you started at 90 and went down to 70, you're a bigger risk than if you started at 40 and went up to 70. Because one of you is trainable, <laughs> the other one is not. That data means a lot of like scary things of like, oh, well, you weren't trying at all for the first one. And that's what it looks like when you do try. And why is there this huge gap between you not trying? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that and, that, you know, that colors behavioral stuff there too, right? Like you get into... You get into a new policy, it's fresh, you know you can save money through this process, and so you're on your best behavior. And then eventually you forget, right? You're going about your day, and then you revert back to the mean. And so these things are, they're frankly more underwriting related than pricing related from a regulatory perspective. We will tell regulators that we want to use this telematics algorithm to price folks, and we're going to give discounts in these ranges, right? But if we see that you're constantly getting worse and worse and worse as a driver, we do have a lot more liberty to write you out of the book at renewal and or reprice you based off of that risk when that time comes. That's all to say that the front end informs how risky you are on the back end. And that's why some of those customer experience adaptations can be very, very valuable for an insurer. Absolutely. And that just going into pricing, it seems like that's almost like the buried headline here, which is that there's more transparency. If my pricing goes up, you can put the documentation in here. Matt, this is where you looked like, I don't know what you were on, but 
you know, you look like you were on something when you hit this this stoplight or whatever it is. We do not endorse any kind of intoxicated driving here on on the Emerge AI and Business podcast. But you could at least pinpoint it down to specific driving behavior and saying, OK, well, your price is going up at this level based on this this data we collected in yeah, terms of. I mean, Matt, we're going to pick you up. When when you quote us, we're going to pick up your police report and we're going to know all these things. We're going to know everything. But to sort of emphasize your point, there's one thing that customers hate. It's not knowing why the price changes. And in some experiments we've run, we've seen that there's almost no differential in churn between customers who receive a price increase, but it's explained to them versus those that receive no price increase at all. So a lot of people want to know that they're empowered and they want to know that they're in control as best they can be over what they're paying and why they're paying it. And really bridging that gap can be a powerful business driver for insurers. Absolutely. And I think also just if they know that their responsibility or lack thereof is being recorded accurately, I think that that also creates a certain level of trust in terms of the privacy information they, they might be giving you. If I got a C plus in a class, that's the grade I got in terms of me being a student. But if I want to get better, I need to have a realistic idea of, you know, the, what's grading me is grading me accurately in that way I can get better. And if we're if we're going with the old way of everybody's in the dark and it's a more antagonistic system, you know, you get price increases without the explanation that you're already layering distrust into the system. And moving into underwriting, you mentioned how this will need more art than science. And this was specifically, we've seen the headlines about this insurance and, and biases, especially what we're seeing from AI capabilities. It's turning out certain ways of categorizing the results in a way that that places people at, at a disadvantage. I was interested in in how you, you looked at this, because when I think, especially executives talking about more art than science, it sounds like more humans need to be in the loop. More humans and human experts need to provide more feedback to the models in order to provide those. Is that is that where basically that's heading or, or how you see the solution to those problems? Yeah, consider it um, model guidance or model training, right? So any model, as you well know, can only respond to the data that it receives. And so on some level, those of us managing or programming these systems have to make sure that it's receiving a broad enough base of data and learning inputs to make sure that it's not inherently biased. Most of what you see in the news around these things going sideways is because the training data wasn't up to snuff or wasn't well distributed. Now, I'm not a machine learning expert, I can't tell you what that right line is, right, to work out algorithmic bias. But in the insurance industry specifically, having a professional that's an underwriting professional that has a lot of experience in this space, take a file that could be 95% of the way completed, but then going through and adding that human eye to make sure that we're uh, being mindful of the biases and bringing in the right kind of data is a value add in this space. Not just because it improves the customer experience and actually allows us to write more customers, but also because that then informs the model better on how to handle those customers going forward. This is another area where I think the customer experience broadly based can be informative. Let's say you have to write a population of people in a risky area, right? An area that might have had more losses than the average cohort for whatever reason. If you are creating an experience that helps customers better protect themselves and eliminates the likelihood of having losses, 
as we mentioned before, the customer engagement will then inform re-underwriting at renewal, right? So if you're seeing a customer who you would traditionally think would be a high risk, you might have to price them a little higher than what they deserve at the initial. But if they're engaging appropriately with the model and they're really trying to prevent losses, that becomes its own intelligence in terms of how you re-underwrite customers when the renewal time comes. So it's all a cycle in a lot of these things. And insurers do the best we can with the data we've got and understanding we have of risk vectors to price a customer in the most reasonable and fair fashion. But these tools working in combination with the front end in combination with the data that customers get us can help us get a lot smarter and more sophisticated and ultimately put policyholders more in control of their fate here. That's the future that we envision. And, and just to put a finer point on on where you would need that expert feedback, I see where the system is bringing out the result that would end up biased. But where is the human coming into play and, and what feedback are they providing to guide that customer into the right category where, where they belong instead of into a, a, a biased category? So let me use life insurance as an example. I've had some health issues recently, some biological defects, a heart surgery, that kind of thing. Traditional underwriting would take one look at me and say, "Mm, not so much. If I gave you all of the data that I have from my electronic medical records, you would see a whole lot of medical tests. You'd see day in and day out, ongoing warfarin treatments and some other things about my prescription regimen that might give an underwriter or particularly an algorithm it might push me outside of the risk bounds. But if somebody sat down for me and saw how healthy I am, how much I work out, how I exercise, and you have some of that sort of manual touch to this, that person can then say, you know, this data point might be a little bit outside the curve, but I'm going to go ahead and write him in. I can ask for his wearable data, ask for his MyFitnessPal data, ask for some other details, potentially incentivize him with a discount for that, but then monitor him over time and see if his behaviors continue to accrue to the book of business. So this is an area where on paper, I would probably look like a bad short-term risk. But in reality, as a human would look at me and evaluate me, I would be acceptable to the book of business, at which point I can be monitored cycle over cycle. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It allows to stretch the curve a little bit in the places where we think there's an appropriate means to do so. But then, of course, like everything else, right, you have to trust but verify in some of those situations. So it's on me, ultimately, to continue to provide the data that the underwriter and insurer needs to get smart about this. And, of course, keep living a healthy lifestyle, which I'm already incentivized to do. Of course. And even going back to your first answer where we were talking about more data coming out of cars, coming out of homes, I mean, bodies are going to be no different. And I, I think this even illustrates just a larger point about where we're going in healthcare for for all of these items. But we'll have to save that more for your next appearance. Hayden, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast this week. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Matt. I'm looking forward to next time. Now, I know longtime listeners might be getting a little tired of me saying this, but I'm really excited for the next time we're going to have Hayden on the podcast because, as you know, whenever I talk about insurance, I always want to talk about this new concept that I'm fetching or at least trying to invent a word for, for those of you who are fans of the movie Mean Girls and know what fetching means. But I've been talking a lot about front door verification. In other words... 
taking all possible steps to verify a customer's information from the very first touch point of a service funnel. Now, here's the thing. A little bit of bad news for those of you who have been keeping up on this saga of me trying to make my term a thing. It actually already might have a name. I know. Let's all let it out right now. Let's let's let a just a sigh of sadness that I will not be able to make this a thing. It does more or less have a name in insurance. It's called Know Your Asset. And it's very, very interesting from this perspective. Hayden's going to talk about it the next time we have him on the show. I know I hate to burst that bubble. I, I was really hoping to make this thing a, a term too. There are some slight differences from the concept, but it's under the umbrella philosophically of how insurance companies go about the process. They call it know your asset. Just as in financial services, they call it knowing your customer. It just really emphasizes that focus. But that's the umbrella they put it under as Hayden was explaining it to me. But we will have to wait before hearing that insight. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.